morning to you again. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Thanks for your flexibility this morning to um, change the story a little bit. But sometimes God allows things to happen, and, and I think it was good for us to have our attention turned outside of ourselves to some of those who are dealing with things that we cannot possibly fathom. And so this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 13, I want to ask a question, isn't it true that in the world it is easy to distinguish a lot of things from other things? For instance, Isaac, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What do I have here? What is this? A nickel. And this is a, a dollar bill, right? Are these very different, correct? Very different things. We can look at these and understand right away that one has more value than the other's. Let me ask you this. If you go to the store today and something costs a dollar and you give them the nickel and they're like, uh, uh, sir, ma'am, uh, this is not enough. Well, well, like this nickel, though, is identifying as a dollar bill today. Well, what are they going to say? <laughs> they're going to say, you're crazy. Now, if you look at the difference between me and Nikki, Nikki is a what? A woman, right? I'm a man. It's very clear to see. Even though our country wants to try to say something different, it is very clear for us. God made dis- dif- distinctly different man from woman. Even this morning, I have a couple tools here. What are these? Scissors. Or what's this? Screwdriver, right? Very different. We can look at these and know that you can't take these and screw a Phillip head screw with these. You need this to do that. Very different. But when we look at God's people versus those who are not God's people, God's enemy versus God's people, it's a little bit trickier to understand. What is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? And in order for us to find out those distinguishing factors, we must go to his word. And so turn with me now, Acts 13, follow as I read in verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing. And the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the example that we see in the church that was formed in Acts and the people who came to Christ and the missionaries who went forth even in the midst of hard circumstances, places that they were driven out of and yet they didn't lose heart. They kept going. In fact, they were just led to more joy. Lord, we think of Ukraine and what's going on there. We pray the same thing, that joy, when the enemy wants to bring despair, that joy would come out. The joy would be the result, Lord. And as we look at your word, Father, there is a distinguishing factor. There are distinguishing marks between believers and unbelievers. And Lord, this should serve as a warning and an encouragement to us this morning, Lord. There may be some people here who have said that they are believers in Christ, but there are no marks on their lives that show that. And so, Lord, would you, would you help us not to look at the text legalistically, not to try to make things so black and white, but, Lord, there are some things that are clear, that are true of your people. And so, Lord, if there are those who are not true believers, would you bring and grant repentance and faith in you this morning for the first time? God, we need your spirit to work through us this morning. We need your spirit to help us to make sure that we look at your word correctly. And so God, we thank you that, uh, that you are with us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you recall, last week, Paul delivered a sermon in the Jewish synagogue. And he preached about Christ. He went through the Jewish history showing them that God is sovereign. That you can't view history without viewing the fact that God is completely in control. And he also pointed to the fact that Jesus was not a second thought from God. Jesus was not a plan B when humanity went haywire and he decided at the last minute, oh, here's this guy who's lived a good life. Jesus is God. And Jesus crucified was the plan from the beginning. You can't view history without understanding that Christ was the plan all along. And we also saw that the gospel is sufficient to rescue us from our history. Amen? And so today we see the response to that message. And in the response we see a difference between followers of God and a difference between his enemies. We're going to look at what each of them hunger and what each of them are known for. And the first thing is this. God's people hunger for God's word. God's people hunger for God's word. Look again at verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. I mean, how many Sunday mornings do you walk out begging, oh, please come back, or I can't wait to come back next week. These people are hungry because of what was shared with them. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. So they're not waiting for next week. They're like, no, we're coming now. We are following you right now. We can't wait and Paul and Barnabas, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And so you can see it's created quite a stir amongst the people. They can't get enough of the word of God being preached. 
They were desperate to hear it. And this is a mark of a true believer in Christ. They are someone who craves the word. And notice what they what Paul and Barnabas urged them to do is said they, they said, continue in the grace of God. What does it mean exactly to continue in the grace of God? First of all, let's remember what grace is. A simple definition of grace is when we get what we don't deserve. It's something that we receive from the Lord that we did not deserve to receive. And I think, first of all, one of the things that pops into my mind is what is the grace that they received here? I mean, they were receiving the word of God. That they gathered together and were able to hear the words of the Lord. The Bible is God's grace to us. They were urging people to stay continually in the word of God. And we have to stop and ponder here and think about the grace that we have with us this morning. They didn't have this with them. This is being written about them. And so they didn't have the New Testament like we have. They had limited books in the Old Testament. And yet, what did they long for week after week? They longed to hear from the few books that they did have. And here we have the completed scriptures before us. Oh, the rejoicing that would have happened if they would have had what we have. I'll never forget a book that I read about a lady who went to a tribal nation where they had no even written word. She actually had to come up with their own language and and figure out what they were saying and put those uh, words on paper so that they could have something to read and so that God's word could be transformed. And in the moment that she completed the New Testament and brought it to the people, they had this major celebration. Do you realize the treasure that we have in this book. The very words of God were given to us. This is God's grace. To continue in God's grace and the grace of God means to stay connected to the word of God. Another form of God's grace is gathering together as God's people to hear God's word preached. So not only did they hear the word preached on the, on the Sabbath, and not only did they hear the word being read, but they heard preaching. And so it's a grace for us to gather together, to be encouraged through the word of God, who's being driven by God himself. I mean, that's something for us to consider. As, we, as you came here this morning, I, I wonder and I fear that people really don't understand what happens on a Sunday morning. If I confess this, even this week at this conference that we were at with the Great Commission Collective, I was just reminded once again of like the awesome task of opening up God's word. And the awesome thing that happens when two or more are gathered in his name, what does it say that God is surely with us? Do you believe that God is with us right now? In a different way than when we're by ourselves. I'm not saying, we, we need both, right? We need God individually, but we also need God corporately. God saved us, not so that we'd have our own relationship with God and just be me and Jesus and that's it. God saved us to be a part of a people. This is God's grace that we come together to hear the preaching of God's word. So that brings me to ask the question, 
Are you a person who hungers after God's word? Are you someone who continually, regularly can't wait to be in the Bible? Now, we must understand here, we could go to an extreme and say that 24-7, you always have to have this delight and this love and this hunger for the word of God. Can we just acknowledge right now that's impossible? <laughs> we are human. We are sinful. We allow other things in the world to distract our hearts away from God. And so please don't hear me say that if you have moments, seasons, where you're not hungry God's word, that you're not a believer. But we still should ask the question to ourselves. Do I have elongated periods where I am mostly not hungry God's word, where I'm mostly not desiring it, where when I open it, most of the time I'm not getting anything out of it. If that is you this morning, the best thing I can do is to question, where are you truly at with the Lord? I mean, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you have very little desire to be in the word of God, don't you think there's something wrong with our hearts? If there are long seasons, season after season after season, I just like, I don't care about God's word. You know what? It's such a drag and I have to do it. Fine, I'll open it. And if that is continually our hearts, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, the brothers and sisters, the best thing I can have you do is question whether or not you are truly one of the Lord. A characteristic of a follower of Christ is a regular hunger for God's word. Another question. Do you love God's people? Do you prioritize the gathering of God's people? You know, sadly, a statistic that they say about church attenders, a regular church attender is once a month. Let me ask you, is that somebody who is continuing in the grace of God? Someone who, who makes just once a month a priority to come and, and hear? Do we understand what happens when we come together? When we come together, God shows up. God is with us. A mark of God's people is one who loves God's people. <laughs> the scriptures say you can't say you love God and hate your brother. Because if you do, you're a what? You're a liar and the truth is not in you. Do you prioritize the word of God? Do you prioritize the gathering of his people? If these aren't regular characteristics of your life, then you have some serious questions to ask yourself. The text goes on. Look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. While God's people hunger for God's word, God's enemies hunger for man's approval. 
the response here is quite different. Some Jews wanted more. Some Jews hungered after God's word, but other Jews found themselves quite jealous. They didn't care for all the attention that Paul and Barnabas were getting because it was taking it off of themselves. And so they spoke up to these Jews. It's such an interesting statement in verse 46. Look at that again. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. By pushing aside the word of God, they were judging themselves as unworthy of salvation. They didn't hunger for the word. They didn't care for the preaching of it. They didn't see the value or understand that it was from God. And so they declared themselves unworthy of salvation. You know, we can, we can fake salvation in church, can't we? We can fake being believers, but a, a heart that rejects the word rejects the Lord. They didn't care that God's word was advancing. They didn't care that people were being healed. They didn't care what was taking place amongst the Gentiles. They didn't care that lives were changing. They cared that the disciples were taking the attention away from themselves. They cared about man's approval. They cared about finding acceptance in what man had to say. Two kingdoms are at war here. The kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And in this war, we can only get the approval of man or God's approval through Christ. Whomever you seek approval from is the one that we will love more. By seeking man's approval, they were held captive by what they thought of them. And they needed the following to find their acceptance. They needed the people to come after them in order for them to find joy. In order for them to find satisfaction. But you can't fear man and fear God at the same time. Sadly, I've seen the fear of man and the approval of man too much in my life. Often it comes when confrontation is needed. And I see a brother or sister who is wayward and I'm too afraid to say the truth because I want their approval. And I fear what they think of me if I call them out on something. Whether big or small. And if I'm not careful, I can find it in preaching. I can find myself like, well, you know what, man, I don't want this to fall too hard. I don't want people to, to feel too bad about themselves. And the temptation could be for me to try to soften the hammer that God wants to bring. Isn't it true that sometimes God brings a hammer? Because sometimes we need that. Not to be forgotten that we always speak the truth in love, right? We don't just swing hammers around. This isn't a, a freedom for us to bash in the heads of people with the Bible because, hey, I'm just bringing truth, and that's what matters. Speaking the truth in love is what matters. But we can find ourselves sideways if we care too much about the approval of man. It can also just be seen in wanting people to like you. We can find ourselves doing things that we wouldn't normally do because we're trying to fit in. I have talked to my junior high boy about this. Uh, isn't it true that junior high boys are a unique species? <laughs> 
and they can just go different ways. And, you know, one of the blessings that we've seen in Isaac's life is that he's been open with those things, and he's seen other kids do other things, and he's bringing and asking us questions about what we are to do. And, and one of the encouragements and prayers that we have for him is, like, don't do things just to earn the approval of these kids. But as adults, we can find ourselves doing the same thing, can't we? We can find ourselves wanting to look just like them because we don't want to stick out. We don't want to be too righteous. But the truth is, the church is distinct from the rest of the world. But we are all susceptible to the approval of man. We all must guard our hearts. The text says here that it led them to jealousy and also trying to stir up people against the disciples. Isn't that what God's enemies do? They, they look and see success somewhere else, and they want to do everything they can to make themselves feel better about themselves and even discredit the success that they see in other people. You see this in the church all the time. I mean, my heart is tempted to it. You see a church growing. And, and so all of a sudden you start to pick apart. Well, they're just growing because they're, they're just singing all the popular music. Or they're, they're probably just growing because they're fluffing up the message. That, that very well may be true, but God also may bless churches because they're being faithful and people come to Christ. I mean, I know a lot of people here have come to this church. Why? Because they like the small feeling to it. But let me ask you this. Would you be satisfied If we just stayed the same, no new faces, but man, we sure had good fellowship, but people didn't come to Christ. We're going to be content to be staying where we're at because, well, we don't want to be like the church because churches that grow, they're they're probably doing something wrong. I mean, who, who wants to see people repent of their sin and come to faith in Christ? And if that means our church grows and we got to send people out to plant a church, praise the Lord. But we got to be careful that we're not looking at success and judging why we think that success has happened. We all desire the approval of man. And so what happens is that we don't look for the fruit and see the good. We often look to try to criticize when we see other people growing. That's the work of the enemy. And that is a sign of God's enemy. They hunger for man's approval instead of speaking for what they are for, they often speak for what they're against. And that really leads us into the next point. Look with me at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So they're rejoicing the fact that Paul and Barnabas were sent to be a light for the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Listen, if, if, the, if the church was going to grow, then it meant that the Gentiles were a part of this as well. And some of the Jews were not happy about what was going on, that the fact that these dirty Gentiles were able to have salvation. That's what their thinking was. But these Gentiles are rejoicing at that news. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. If you jump to verse 52, we see this too. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We'll get back to those middle sections, but here's what I want you to see in light of all this. God's people are known for their joy. God's people are known for their joy. For so long, the Gentiles were on the outside looking in. 
If they wanted to be a Jew, they had to do all these different things, and they were still looked at as second class in the eyes of the Jews. But here is Paul and Barnabas declaring the gospel to the Gentiles, and this led to incredible joy. It led them to rejoicing because people were responding to Christ, and God rescued many people. Very interesting wording there, too. It says, as many as were appointed believed. God had people in mind whom he would save, and his irresistible grace saved them. And despite the many trials they faced, despite the opposition, in verse 50 and 51, we see the Jews incited the devout women of high standard and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against them. They drove them out And still, it couldn't take away their joy. God's people are known for their joy. Why is that? What makes these people so joyful? Why would they respond this way in the midst of persecution and being driven out from this place? Here's four things that you can mark down. I don't have these on the the screen, but if you want to mark these down, these are the things that make a person joyful. These are the reasons why God's people are known for their joy. Number one, it comes from a heart that understands life without Christ. What brings joy? What brings joy is understanding who we are apart from what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It's understanding that each and every one of us is broken, separated from him because of our sin. If we don't understand that, then the good news won't be good news. You see, the good news is only good when we understand the bad. And so what makes a joyful heart is one who understands who we are before Christ, without Christ. So number two then, in light of that, uh, uh, what makes a person joyful? It comes from a heart that understands life with Christ. See, we understand what life is like separated from him. We understand that we are deserving of death and punishment and hell. And yet we have this new life in Christ. And he comes into our lives and he starts changing our hearts. What we used to be angry about, he is slowly allowing that to dissipate, bringing a joy that's unspeakable. Peace that surpasses all understanding. What used to drive us mad and crazy, now we find ourselves being patient The people that we used to be angry about, the people we used to want to call out, all of a sudden God is soft in our hearts and we find ourselves broken for them. Because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. What stirs up joy in the heart of a believer? It's one who understands what life with Christ is like. He changes us. What makes a person joyful? It comes from a heart, number three, that takes refuge in God's word comes from a heart that takes refuge in God's word. We read in the Psalms that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It gives us direction. Joy comes when we understand the truths of who God is. When we read through Psalms and we see the magnificence of who God is. When we read through the New Testament, we read in the Gospels about this Jesus who came was perfect and holy, deserving of all praise, and he humbled himself on a cross. When we see the word and read it, We understand that this is unbelievable, the hope that comes from God's word. And I have tasted and seen that man can give man's wisdom, but it just doesn't compare to the wisdom of God's word. 
Man tries to encourage in ways that just don't last. I mean, all day long, you can talk about the American dream, but I can tell you the American dream never satisfies. Nikki and I have never really had a lot, but like each year we kind of have more than what we previously had. And you know what we can find ourselves doing? Like what could satisfy you a little bit more? <laughs> like that's where if we don't watch our hearts, we can find ourselves. That's God's grace when he reveals that, by the way. When we realize, you know what, this world just does not satisfy. But God's word does because it's sufficient for us. What makes a person joyful? It comes from, number four, a heart that doesn't view life circumstantially. It comes from a heart that doesn't view life circumstantially. Aren't we circumstantial people? You ask, how's your day going? Great. Why is it going great? Well, the kids obeyed. I got a raise. It's nice weather. My family's in good relationship with one another. We have food on the table. We have food in the fridge. We got a house. I found a spouse. We're pregnant. Isn't that kind of how we usually judge a a good day? Hey, why is your day good? Or how's your day, Uh, uh, disciples? You just got kicked out from preaching. You're being persecuted. How's your day? Great. Why? Because God's on the move. Hey, you lost your job. How are you doing? Great. Why? Because my security is not found in what my bank account says. My security is not found on the job that I get to go to. Isn't it true that if we can be so circumstantial and then our joy can be based not on anything from what God has said and from his word, not based on our salvation, it's based on how our life is going circumstantially. That is not a way to live. Do you realize that on the way home, our lives could change in a moment. And everything that we had found joy in today could be gone. It's not to say that those things don't bring joy. They bring joy to our lives. But if they are the ultimate joy, then we're in for a rude awakening when things start getting taken away. I, I, I think about Ukraine. And I think about the fact that they have to move out of their houses. Their, their houses are being bombed. And even if this thing were to end today, all the destruction that has taken place. Have you seen some of the things that have taken place in these beautiful buildings that have been destroyed? Not, nothing's going to be the same there for years. Let me ask you, if something happened here, Similar, and all of the joys that you had were taken away, and all the money meant nothing anymore, would you still have joy in your life? I think it's something worth considering because, especially in America, we have so much stuff, and we could be so tempted to find our joy in things circumstantially. So, let me ask you this morning how is your joy? Are you known? For a person that is joyful. I encourage you this week, if you're in a good space in your head, (laughs) if you're married, ask your spouse, what am I known for? Am I known for joy? Am Am I known for one who leans on the Lord no matter what's going on? Or am I known for my circumstances and what's going on there? You know how I'm doing based on how my circumstances are. Or you know if we're bad, we know that it's just because of your circumstances, not because of a heart that's turned from the Lord. If you have kids, <laughs> ask your kids with no punishments offered and what they say. Ask your kids, 
What do you know me for? Do you think I'm more of a joyful person or somebody who's not? That's a mark of a, a believer is one who is full of joy. Again, we go to such extremes here. It's not that all of life, like we never view our lives based on our circumstances. Again, are we human? <laughs> it's impossible to do that. But if our life isn't consistently joyful, if there isn't this consistent joy in our life, we should ask ourselves, we're, we're not viewing something right here. We're viewing our life through our circumstances rather than through Christ. So it's not about perfection, but it is about progress. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He who began a good work in you, what? He will bring it to completion. That means there's progress in our lives. This is there progression of joy in your heart? Well, if God's people are known for their joy, God's enemies are known for their hate. Look at verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standard, standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But, the, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. That's just a rejection. All right, you rejected. This is not on us. This is on you. That's what that symbolism of dusting their feet off. Like, this is on you, not on us. Such a different reaction from the others. Instead of celebrating the fact that salvation is now for all people, they're angry at what's taking place. Perhaps it's because they would not allow another race to be followers of God apart from following their man-made religion. Nothing they had and they didn't even express what they stood for. Do you see that? We don't even know what they're standing for. We just know what they're against. That's what it does when we are not pursuing God. We are known more for what we are against than what we're for. And so we don't even know what they stand for. They didn't proclaim what they believed. It's because they weren't God's people. They were known for their hate more than anything else. Don't you find this just completely sad? Completely crushing? There was no concern for the souls of the lost. No cares that these people who had no hope are all of a sudden dancing in the street because of this new hope that they had found. They had no care in the world for it. You know, this, even this week as we were uh, at the hotel room, um, I don't know if you heard about the, did you hear about the winter storm that swept through the, like, Dallas and stuff? So we were in San Antonio, supposed to fly out of Dallas. Our flights got delayed, and we ended up coming home two days late. And so we're, <laughs> so I got home yesterday afternoon, so it's been a fun time. And then Zach calls in sick. It's been one of those weeks where you're just like, Lord, you're going to show up, and that's my hope. But we're flipping through the news channel, just trying to learn more about what's going on in Ukraine. And I kid you not, like, this is the state of America, one station is ripping apart Trump and what he has said about Putin and his like, partnership in there and his, like, not really calling him out like he should. And so I'm like, I, I don't want to hear this. I just want to know how, what's going on. I flip to another one, and they're bashing the current administration and how they're handling the whole Ukrainian system. I'm like, there are people here who are losing their homes, and you guys are fighting against one another? I don't care what you're against. I care what is going on here. 
And I'm too afraid in the church, too often we are known for what we are against more than who we are for. Are we for Jesus or are we, for, or are we against some political party that we don't agree with? What is it that we stand for? What is it that is most important in your life? We have to ask ourselves, what do we want to be known for? And then maybe some of you need to ask a follow-up question. What should I want to be known for? Too often we're willing to uh, sacrifice our families for the sake of being the best at our jobs. As if we get to heaven and say, well, I got the best place in my company. Is going to make any hill of difference in heaven. So it's worth asking ourselves this morning. What are you known for? Are you known more for what you're against? Or are you known more for who you are for? Are you known more for the Savior who has rescued you? Everything we have here is passing away. Nothing that we have now is gonna, we're going to carry into heaven. So it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter what car you drive. It doesn't matter what you provide for your kids financially. I mean, it does, right? I mean, it does. It matters now. Like, we want to take care of. We don't want to just say, I'm not going to have a job. I'm just going to go preach the gospel. and let, Like, there's some wisdom that we have to take into place here. But what's the, what's the mission of our church? What is it? Glorify God by making disciples. Is there anything else that matters more than that? When we go before glory, if you were to meet the Lord today and he were to ask you, what have you done with my son? What would you be able to say? If the Lord were to answer the question for you, what do I know you for as I've observed you your whole life? What do you think the Lord would say? Again, not perfection. But would you be known as someone who hungers after God's word? Would you be known as someone who is joyful, not because your circumstances are good, not because life is perfect, but because you serve a perfect God who's perfectly watching over you, who is using everything for your good? My prayer for us this morning is that we would know that God has rescued us, that we would be known for people who hunger after God's word, that we'd be known for our joy in the Lord. And if those things aren't true, then I pray that God would open your eyes and expose you for who you are. Not, not to condemn you. I mean, how gracious would it be for God to open your eyes today if for years you thought you were a believer and he opens your eyes and helps you see that you never knew me. Lord, Lord, did I not do all these things for you? I don't want you to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. May we be a church, may we be a people that is known for its hunger for God's word, for the joy of the Lord, for the love of God's people. May that be true for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that you have given us your word, not left us on our own, Lord. It's sort of a heavy feel this morning, but God, I pray that you would help us to see and understand
Lord, where we are with you. Not to condemn us, Lord, but just to open our eyes. Lord, we shouldn't be joyful people legalistically because that's what we're supposed to be. Lord, there's so much you've done for us. How can we not be joyful because of the sins that you've rescued us from? Lord, I am, even the sins this week, I deserve hell over it. And yet you have rescued us. Lord, make us a joyful people. Help us to evaluate. Do I spend more time looking at what I don't have versus what you've given us? Lord, may you keep us from being a people who's known for what we're against more than what we're for. May we be known for people who want to do everything for your glory. God, we need your help. We are imperfect in this, so guard our hearts from thinking we have to be perfect. But God, help us to see clearly that it's still matters that we are a joyful people. It's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I leave you with these action steps if you want to continue your studies in this topic here. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says this, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. That doesn't sound legalistic to me, does it? That sounds joyful. God's word proves true. It's a refuge for us. So I encourage you to spend some time memorizing that, reminding yourselves of the beauty of what God's word means for us. There's a reason why we should hunger for it, not just because it's a checklist thing, but because of what it does for us. It transforms us. And then I encourage you to spend some time in Psalm 119. I know that's a super long psalm, but there is so much about the richness and the beauty of God's word. If you find yourselves in that place where God's word is a burden to you, let me, let me encourage you to seek the Lord. He's a big God. He understands already what you're going through. So be honest with him. And then ask him to transform your heart to see the beauty of what God's word is. And then I encourage you, get in the word. Don't let your emotions determine when you read. Because if you do that... You're going to spend a lot of time not reading because you don't feel like it. I don't wake up in the morning, most mornings, like skipping to the word, like excited to get in it. I wake up distracted by the other things, and so it's like a discipline of getting in it. And every time I get into it, I'm like, thank you, Lord. This is what I needed. And so don't wait for your emotions to lead you to a place where you want to do it. Set it on the calendar and do it. And then I just encourage you to spend some time asking the questions the question, what are you known for? you known for a person who hungers after God's word. Are you known for your joy in the Lord? And so let that encourage you this week. I appreciate you coming. Uh, continue to be praying for um, what's going on around the world. And don't just pray for damnation for the other side. We pray for God to move in power, powerful ways. You see the, I see the people who are in Russia who are speaking against what their government is doing. And so let's just ask, first and foremost, that God is glorified through it all. So thanks for being here. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.